Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. Was that too loud, Mary? That was it. I mean, you woke me up. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. This is the Leadership Hour. Steve Adubato with Mary Gammon coming to you from East Main Media Studios with our colleague Brian Brodeur. All about leadership. Everything you've ever wanted to know about leadership. It's based on my book, Lessons in Leadership. And more importantly, forget about what I think. We get to talk on the Leadership Hour with the most interesting, compelling leaders from all stripes, corporate America, not-for-profits, healthcare organizations. And in this case, Mary, we're talking to our good friend who leads the Newark Public Schools, the superintendent of the Newark mm -hmm. Public Schools, Roger Leone, right? Yes, that's correct. Roger, can you hear us? Yes, good morning. Hey, Roger, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Roger, do us a favor. Tell everyone how many students are in the Newark Public Schools. We have 37,000 students in the North Public Schools from ages of pre-kindergarten all the way through the 12th grade. Let me get right to it and ask you this. With such an incredibly challenging job, what is your number one leadership challenge? The number one leadership challenge is just focusing everyone on the most significant heartbeat that are in our classrooms, and that's our children. Making sure that everything that we do, all of the policies that get approved by the board, all of the work that focuses our principals and obviously our teachers to center everyone's attention on what is in the best interest of our students. I think that that is clearly one of the most important of all of the challenges, focusing everyone to show that our purpose is to educate our children and to do it really, really well. You're listening to uh, Roger Leone, superintendent of the Newark Public Schools. This is Lessons in Leadership. But you know what's fascinating to me, Roger, as a student of the Newark Public Schools, as a graduate of the Newark Public Schools, back in the day, uh, shout out to Ridge Street School and Broadway Junior High School. Um, now it's not even Broadway Junior High School anymore. It, it's got a different name. I knew you'd know that, my friend. <laughs> But I'm curious about this. When Roger came in as the superintendent, he had ideas, he had a vision, he had a strategy and a direction. And let's just say that it wasn't exactly the direction that things were in and he wanted changes made. Question, Roger, if change is the only constant and you were coming in leading change, how the heck did you get people on board as a leader? Well, definitely keeping everyone focused on the prize because it's extremely important. The whole idea that if we continue to do the work that we've obviously always done and not expecting different results would be obviously something that wouldn't be in anyone's reality. So letting people know that no matter how hard it is to do something different, to understand why we're doing something different becomes extremely important. Usually what happens is we tell people, and especially in Newark, I know the school system very well, not only as a student, as a teacher, as a substitute teacher, and then obviously as principal, and then lastly as an assistant superintendent of schools over the last 11 years, we see things come and we see things go. So when something new comes, we expect it to eventually go. <laughs> and so ultimately what has to happen is an opportunity to pump the brakes a little bit, explain to people why something is occurring, understand why it is not helping, and then clarifying why we need to change, as well as things that have occurred that do work, that for whatever reasons aren't working in our city, but work everywhere else. That it's an opportunity for us to kind of focus on why is it not happening here and to ultimately reflect upon the fact that it's not happening here because we are not making it happen because it obviously works everywhere else 
it should then work well here as well. well so said. it's not that everything is cookie cutter, but ultimately getting a good pulse on where we are and then moving the district in the direction that it needs to go. Steve Arabato, Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur, this is the Leadership Hour, Lessons in Leadership. I'm curious, Superintendent Roger Leon, how much patience do you have <laughs> when change is not happening as quickly as you would like it to happen? Are you a patient leader? Oh, absolutely not. I, was, <laughs> I thought that was just going to end with absolutely. Quickly. No, no, he's not going to stop with absolutely. It's absolutely Mary's not. On, Mary's like clarifying it for everyone. Absolutely not. Things need to be different. They needed to be different years ago. Um, my reality is that I am in an incredible opportunity to impact the lives of thousands of children so that we better our community. So ultimately, I want things, not that I want them, but the reality of today is that we must do things dramatically different in order to get different results. And so the whole idea that we need to move systemically is very, very important. And that's what has helped me. I've learned a lot from the previous other five state superintendents. You know, I'm a kid from the system, as I already shared. And ultimately, I understand why things don't eventually become what people imagine. And so we're working not slowly. We're working with a lot of intent on making some immediate changes and then forecasting when other changes are going to come so that when they become realized, people can expect them. Roger Leon, let me ask you, Mary and I are working on a new book on leadership, and we're talking to all different kinds of leaders, and much of what is going to be in that book actually comes from this program. And one of the things we're researching is what are the most interesting questions you could ask great leaders? And the question I want to ask you comes from the list that we've developed. Who has had the greatest impact on you in developing your leadership style? Is there a particular mentor? I think that it's a list of important people that have uh, taken me to the point where I am today. It starts obviously with my mom because she's established the highest of expectations of me every day, even today, not only what I was doing in school when I was a student, but when I was a teacher and principal, she's very tough. Roger, I'm sorry for interrupting. Did that stay with you today? Oh, yeah. She's tough on me. Today. She's very tough on me today. Every day, actually. Um, so, I mean, I love her for it. Don't get me wrong. Doesn't she know um, you're the superintendent? Doesn't she know that you're she the superintendent? She knows super... I'm the superintendent, but you know what? I'm her son, and she remembers and reminds me of that every day. She explains to me the important role that parents play in the lives of their children and what the school system did for my sisters and me and making sure that, you know, I'm obviously providing that for my students on the opposite spectrum of that. You got Dr. John Goodlad, who is recently deceased out of the University of Washington, who talks about the importance of educating the public, hence public education in this democracy, and the role that we actually play towards the betterment of a society, not only for the students in Newark, but for the students of the world. We have to better educate children in Newark because they have an important place that they have yet played on a scene far greater than they could ever imagine. And the world will be a better place when we educate all of the children in the city of Newark and in all our urban school districts all across America. When we do that job better, then we will see much better gains, not only for our nation, but for countries that look to us as a guide. And then in between those two, I have incredible teachers, my high school debate coach, Brent Ferrand, wow. my calculus teacher, 
Kathleen DeChara, extremely important. My kindergarten teacher, Carol Pavlo, my third grade teacher, wow. Terry Robinson, critical people that did some critical things for me. My elementary principals, Mr. Caesar and Dr. Fodi, my high school principal, Mr. Restaino, all critical Not Gene Fodi. Not Gene Fodi. Gene Fodi no! Sr. Now, the, the, the son is going to want to oh, take oh, credit. But no, the old man Gene Fodi, I grew up. No, Oh, my God, Roger. All, all great leaders, right? Great leaders who understood the importance of educating children and doing it really, really well. I would want to say that sometimes, you know, people impact you in a positive way. And sometimes we interact with people that don't leave a great impression on you. And I say that those people are extremely important um, critical role players in who I am as a leader today because I know how not to educate well children. Now, that's amazing. And so ultimately, it's the good and the bad that has made me whole. we got about another minute with Roger. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, no, I was just going to jump in, Roger. One of the programs that you and I work on together is Stand and Deliver. It's a youth leadership program within the Newark Public Schools with the goal of doing just that, teaching leadership, communication skills to the students that we serve. And every single high school in the public school in the city of Newark participates. And I just had a question for you, Roger. When it comes to you, obviously, you're leading the teachers that are going into those classrooms every day. What is the message that you hope that each of those teachers are leaving with the these young adults, you know, whether in the stand and deliver program or not, when it comes to being the leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, so obviously the incredible work that both of you have done with stand and deliver just has impacted lives, has changed lives, has resulted in change agents. The whole idea behind the program is not to help students so that they're better now. That's obviously what everyone's goal is. Every teacher should be impacting every child today and doing it profoundly. But the whole idea behind Stand and Deliver is to create an agent of each of our students to prove to them that they can, in fact, make this world a better place by their agency. And so part of what we want to do in our classrooms is definitely teach our students how to read, how to write, how to do mathematics. We want to teach them the higher levels of the sciences. We want them to understand the social sciences. But ultimately, in the end, we want all of our students to leave school, not knowing that they can pass a test. We will not allow a test to define us. They will always surpass every single test that is issued to them. It is how they become a good citizen. How do they help their neighbors that they have to impose on children's thinking that the only way we make the city of Newark an awesome place for everyone to live is by the children becoming incredible adults and leading the way. Wow. That's powerful. And by the way, put a postscript on this. The motto that the Stand and Deliver program that has been supported by the North Public Schools for many years and other generous foundations and corporations is we tell our kids, be, be the, the change. change. Be the change. Don't look for someone else. Don't expect someone else. Mm-hmm. Be the change. And Roger said it so well. They are developing in the North Public Schools the leaders of tomorrow, making a difference every day. Roger Leone is, in fact, the superintendent of the Newark Public Schools, an incredibly challenging job for any leader. Roger, you honor us by joining us on the Leadership Hour on Lessons in Leadership. We told you it would be five or six minutes. You were with us for about 15, and I'm sorry we probably made you late for your next meeting. No, we appreciate your time. Any opportunity that I have to let everyone know how great the children of our city and everyone who works for us in the Newark Public Schools is doing is an honor and a privilege on my behalf. And I want to just thank you on behalf of all of our students and staff. 
Thank you, Roger. Have a great day. Bye-bye now. That was Roger Leone, superintendent of the Newark Public Schools. Let's take a break on Lessons in Leadership, and we'll be right back right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to uh, Lessons in Leadership, part of the Leadership Hour. I'm Steve Adubato with Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur in the studios of East Main Media. So, uh, by the way, Roger Leone, head of the North Public School, we've known him for years, years. but we didn't know this side of him. Exactly. And that's why I was so looking forward to hearing this side, just because I see him as such a passionate leader. So hearing him give those tips and tools and his just perspective and really what molded him into who he is today, I think is going to be valuable for all of our listeners. You know, think about this. When we started doing the Leadership Hour and this whole lessons in leadership, that the first half of it, the Leadership Hour, the second half is uh, State of Affairs, our public affairs programming from NJTV. You know, I bet there was a part of you, Mary, and Brian, you may have thought the same thing. I know I did. Well, how many leadership shows can we do before we run out of stuff? And I realized the cable networks don't ask themselves, how many times can we do Donald Trump without running out of stuff? I mean, <laughs> it's like, and I sit there and I go, and our stuff is more substantive. There are so many different ways of looking at leadership because there are so many different kinds of leaders who've been influenced by so many different things in their lives, who approach it so many different ways, who had all these different challenges and successes and communicate in different ways. It's not the same show. No, it's so different. No matter how many times we ask that question, we say, what is the greatest leadership lesson that you can offer? I always assume it's going to be the same answer. I started that four years ago on the air asking people that. And it's always something different. And it's always, I mean, sometimes there's different themes that are very comparable, but they always are expressed in very unique ways. So it's always a lot of fun to hear really what someone believes are the great traits to leadership. That's two people. We tape a few shows in one day. And we were talking to Barb Short from mm-hmm. PSEG and then Roger Leone, the head of the North Public Schools, and both of them talked about the influence of family. Now, with Roger, it was his mom. Mm-hmm. With Barb, it was growing up in a certain kind of family, hard work, union background, ran a business as well. But you ask yourself, like, we think all of a sudden we take a leadership course. Like, I do all these leadership seminars, as you know, because you make them happen. Or someone takes a leadership course in a business school, you know, wherever. What? Yeah, that can have something to do with shaping your view on leadership. But if you're really going to be honest, our view of hard work, our view of take responsibility, our view of empathy, our view of our own self-confidence in ourselves, our view of tenacity and persistence with Will, your son. I'm sorry for bringing him up like that. How many times has Will had to go back and back and back and back and back and playing hockey, Mm -hmm. knock down, back up, knock down, back up? Yeah. Is that not learning about leadership? It's all about leadership. And I was just going to jump in and say that it's more even about, and this is where I have a hard time, and I'm sure you do as well, because I've heard you say By the way, it. Mary's son, Will, is 17. 17, yeah, senior at the time that we're taping this. They just started school today. He's a senior. And then my youngest is a freshman. So now they're at the same school. So I had to That's remind cool. Will not to, like, you know, knock the books out of his hand as they're walking <laughs> down the hallway. But they also have the same lunch period. So I'm sure that's going to go great. Yes. But yeah, so... I always have to stop myself from letting them experience life and me telling them how to experience life. Oh, so don't now go let here, me just Mary, no, don't go here. But you and I talk about it, right? Like there's a difference between letting them fall and picking themselves back up 
or being there to throw the safety net because you see them on the ledge, you see them standing there because there is value to making mistakes and then learning from them as compared to somebody telling you you're about to make a mistake and you never really feel the impact of that mistake. The consequences. Yes. And sometimes you do need to jump in. We've talked about that. Sometimes it's very important to jump in for the best of your children. And this is also in work if you see your team going down a path, but other times you do need to let them fall so they learn how to succeed and bring themselves back up. Welcome to the Parenting Hour. No, um, it, hey, No, no, because I'm about to do it right now. Yeah. All right? So Mary talked about her boys. Mary, together with her husband, Bill, have done an amazing job with their two sons. Our son, Nick, who I'm hoping is not listening right now, 16 turning 17 by the time this airs, will be 17, driving, right? Scary, yep. but also liberating. It, it was the best thing that ever happened when Will got his driver's license. A day at a time. Yeah. So this is weird because sports, big part of our world, we talk about it a lot. Our son, Nick, very good baseball player for many years, decided not to play baseball anymore. Very tough decision. My wife wanted him to continue to play. I was like, and I wanted him to continue as well. He had been playing for 10 years, very talented. But dad, I'm not feeling it anymore. What? It's not exciting me. I don't feel it. I don't have the passion. Finally, I said, okay, fine. There's a possibility that the mistake was we could force him to play. And he and later on, he'd say, thank you so much for me. Okay, I didn't want to take that chance. So now he gets into golf. Why is this relevant? Because I play golf, not well, but I've been playing golf for years. And so we were out playing the other day. He was getting ready for a tournament. He was playing in his first competitive tournament at a place that we play at. And I'm watching him play, and he's a powerful hitter. He hits the ball like he's, he's a baseball player. So he hits really far and blah, 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 blah. But now he gets close to the green. You ask, what does this have to do with leadership and parenting and discipline and holding back and patience and when do you push? So I'm watching, and he is attempting the most ridiculously impossible shots that I know are going to get him in trouble. And when you're playing in a golf tournament, I won't get too deep in the weeds, but it's strokes, meaning mm -hmm. the least amount of strokes you win, right? I play mini golf, and I think all of our listeners do, so they understand, so you can keep going. You're it's such, the same rules. You're such a good communicator that you connected it back to mini golf. Yeah. It's the least amount of strokes. Yeah. So I said to my son, listen, Nick, you're playing in this tournament on this weekend. I can't coach you, which he was happy about. I could ride in a cart 100 yards behind you, but I can't say a word to you, so I'm going to say some things to you now. I said, Nick, I'd rather you not try that impossible shot because if you hit the tree and it goes out of bounds, you lose two shots, you're in bad shape. Instead of a par four, he gets a 10, he's out of the hole, possibly out of the match. Mm -hmm. And he's not listening. The whole time I see what he's doing. He gets in the tournament on Saturday and I'm riding in the cart, but I can't talk to him. He does the exact same thing, attempts a Tiger Woods shot when Tiger Woods was Tiger Woods and not Tiger Woods today. Mm -hmm. Hits a tree, goes out of bounds, takes a two-shot penalty, is frustrated, then gets a big fat number, and he's out of those. And I'm sitting there, and I watched it for only so long, and the story will end now. I waved to him, and I said goodbye, and I texted him, and I said, Nick, it's better for you if Dad's not here. What I didn't say, it's better for Dad if Dad's <laughs> not here. And when he got home... I was frustrated. I said to my wife, Jennifer, Nick didn't listen to me. I told him what he needed to do. If he only listened to me, he would have been in the match. And I kept going. And finally, she said, I can't listen to you anymore. Mm -hmm. 
She goes, it's a golf match. Why wait, are you wait, acting wait, wait. like this? Whose match was it? She said, whose match was it? And I and said- And I didn't even know that that's what she said, but we didn't even talk about this. said it. I said, Jen, you don't understand. I know he was about to make all these mistakes. I told him, I warned him, I coached him. I'm a good father. I'm the father that I didn't have. I didn't have that kind of father. My father was like, screw you, whatever happens is your problem. I'm there for my kids. She goes, leave him alone. Let him make his own mistakes and learn. I don't want to let him make those mistakes because then he's going to be upset afterwards. Okay, fine. And then when he came home, I promised I'd say, proud of you, Nick, for finishing all 18. How was it? And he said, well, I learned this or that and mm -hmm. whatever. I haven't said a word. I'm biting my tongue. I'm bleeding right now mm -hmm. from holding back. Talk to me about leadership and parenting. Well, first of all, I'm proud you didn't say the four words, I told you so, because it sounds like you didn't. What was the impulse? It, or, or, was it impulse control before? Or did you say it in some way no, no, that no. still meant the same thing? I promised myself I would not go there and I had to practice not saying anything. Mm -hmm. Would you say, Brian, impulse control is sometimes not saying the thing? Sure. Sometimes not saying it is more important than saying it. And, and I'm sorry for that long-winded story, but I wanted every way to say, Nick, if you had only did what I mm -hmm. didn't do it. Nope. And it's funny because, you know, again, just another sports reference, but my kids play ice hockey. The benefit sports is- Sports and leadership, big connection. It is. And the benefit is I don't play ice hockey. So I don't have any right to tell them how to do anything differently. So, but in your case, because you do play golf, you feel like you should or could tell him how to do things differently. However, there's a huge sign that when you walk into most hockey, youth hockey ranks, it says, let them play, let them fail, let them learn, let them succeed. Say it again. Let them play. Let them fail, let them learn, let them succeed. It is a reminder to all of us as parents that we are parents. We are not there to coach them with their little league game. We are not there to, and I hear parents, I see goalie parents standing on the side of the glass, like contorting their bodies to try to get the, the kids to, <laughs> you know, and the kids looking at them instead of looking at the puck go in the net. And it is the hardest lesson for people. And this is also, again, and we'll tie it right back to business. You need to let the people on your team fail in order to know how to succeed. But you see it coming and isn't your job to help them avoid that failure mistake? You could tell people about a vacation that you've been on, but unless they actually went to that location, they have no idea how beautiful that sunset was or how warm those beaches were. Telling somebody something versus them experiencing, whether it's the joy or the pain of that situation, will never, ever be the same. And I know it's so hard. It's so hard. So I'm proud of you for not saying I told you so. But the next time, don't start giving him pointers on the golf course. Let him just give it a shot. Oh. I'm sure he has a coach, right? A he golf does, coach. He does. And, he yeah. and how about this? I texted the golf coach and I oh, said, no. Steve, his name is Steve as well. He's a very good golfer, a great trainer. I said, Steve, he did none of the things that I told him or you told him. I just want you to know I'm so upset. Blah, 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 blah. He goes, listen, relax. Mm -hmm. But of course, I was doing all these things. Mm -hmm. And it unfortunately caused the bit of a rift between my wife and I because our position is simple. Leave him alone. Be there when he's doing something dangerous, but shut mm -hmm. up when it comes to all Ooh. these. Go ahead. And I just forgot. There's well, a Steve Adubato, Mary Gamma, Brian Brodeur on the parenting hour. I forgot the most important one. It's at the way bottom of that sign. Let them have fun. Forgot about that. What fun is Let there in getting your fun. butt kicked by making Who dumb cares? mistakes? He's not going to go and be in some PGA. And, you know, we all think our kids are going to be this D1 athlete or this big time rock star or whatever it is that your kid's into or a dancer on Broadway. 
big lesson. No, they're not. And if they do, that's great. But we want but, them to be the best they can be. But you want to know what? Before you know it, he's going to be in college. You're going to be wishing that you just, you know, could have those extra moments on the golf course. So just let him be. Let him have fun. Let him be a kid. When I was a kid, I played softball. I was horrible at it. I tried dancing. My parents took me out of dance because they said I wasn't good at it. And I played soccer and I was okay at it. But I just had fun. It wasn't with that same level of intensity as it is today. You know what? On the next Leadership Hour, we're going to be talking to our friend Patrick Dunnigan from uh, Gibbons. And he, in fact, has coached. He has a son and a daughter, talented kids, very good athletes. And I talk to him a lot Mm -hmm. about sports and kids and leadership and coaching and parenting and out of the way, in the way, getting involved, not involved. We'll pick that up with him. But I want to, I'm going to do this since we're on the sports. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur coming to you from East Main Media. Mary, you just turned your head to look at how much time it I was. I know. I need a clock on the other side of the room, There's Brian. eight minutes. Relax. I was okay. making sure you had enough time. Uh, I got to keep you. Tell you folks know. how the Leadership Hour is possible and how people can get it. Absolutely. So if you're listening on the radio, definitely check out our other podcasts. The you radio is AM 970, 2 p.m. Radio. every Sunday. AM 970. Thank you for that plug, Steve. And our friends, Jerry Crowley and all the other great people over there. And Laura. And Laura Schaefer. She's amazing. But you could also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast and on Google Play. You can follow Steve on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D., that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter at Steve Adubato. And thank you to the people that helped to make this program possible, New Jersey. Who's our biggest underwriter sponsor? New Jersey Resources. They are the best. They are wonderful. Larry Downs Larry was Downs. the CEO there for many years. Just yes, step, step absolutely. Down. And then we have our other longtime partners. We've got St. Joseph's Health. We've got MD Advantage. We've got Cone Resnick, Valley, Bank, New Jersey Resources, our newest friends, Prager Metis. They're a really good and new friend of ours, and we've been partnering with them for some time. Gibbons Law Firm, you just talked That's about, right. Patrick. So a whole bunch of great partners that just give us all these great leadership and communication topics. Here we go. I'm going to run a quote past you, and we're, since we're talking about sports and leadership, by the way, we're actually talking about doing, a, on our PBS side, talking about doing an entire series connected to sports and leadership in cooperation with our friends at Seton Hall University. They just recently brought on a guy by the name of Bob Lee. Bob Lee, 40 years at ESPN. Brian, you and your team just cut that interview with him. We did. Bob Lee did a great series called Outside the Lines, which still continues on ESPN. We had Bob Lee on our one-on-one show, and we talked sports and leadership and media and ethics. And he's now, Bob Lee is now teaching at Seton Hall. And I'm proud to say that I'm going to be teaching in the spring semester Mm -hmm. at Seton Hall as a Senior Fellow of Leadership at the Bucino Leadership Institute. Absolutely. Does senior fellow just mean old? Um, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> in golf, the senior tour is, they call it the master's tour. Yeah. They used to call it the senior's tour, oh, and the really? old guys got peeved. Nice. Trust me, it's old guys. So um, the reason I'm mentioning is because we're going to be doing a sports and leadership series in cooperation with our friends at Seton Hall, and that brings me to what I'm about to introduce. So a leadership quote. Mary and I have been doing these leadership quotes. We'll spread them out throughout the uh, Lessons in Leadership series, the Leadership Hour. This one comes from the great former coach of the Green Bay Packers. They won the first two Super Bowls in 1966 and 1967. Vince Lombardi, considered one of the greatest coaches, greatest leaders in sports, particularly in football, came out of Fordham, coached for the New York Giants, and then went out to Green Bay. And Vince Lombardi is famous for many things, but his quote, which I'm about to offer folks listening on AM 970, our podcast, is worth talking about. Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. You say? I like it. No. 
And no, so- no, if you like it, you like it. <laughs> I do. I actually like it. I think that if you don't go out expecting to win, then why go out at all? Right. So you need to go out with that attitude. Now, what you do with it when you don't win, he should have a follow up quote and he may. We'll do some research, but don't be an idiot when you lose. Yeah, because you don't, don't always be a bad win. sport when you lose. And he didn't say that. You know, he said it's the only thing, though, Mary. And I don't agree. I'm sorry. It's not the only thing. Well, actually, to fully disclose when Steve, when you came to me and said, we're going to pull these quotes and I want you to pull this one, I said, well, I'm sure we're going to respectfully disagree on some of these. And that's one that we do. I think that winning is very important. No, no, that's not. Vince Lombardi did not say that winning is very important. He said winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Emphasis on the word. Okay. Only. You just said it's very important. Listen, when I competitively play golf against my friends, Mm -hmm. Andy Duke and Nikki Matarazzo and others, I'm saying this because I've given them so much money over the years from losing. I want to win. Right. But it ain't the only thing. True. Okay, you're right. I play a really good game. I play my best. I have a good attitude. I'm positive when things go wrong. And you have a good time. And I lose. And you lose. So what was the only thing? That right, I didn't right. win? I am going to retract. I still like the quote, but I don't completely agree with it. So that leads us to this. I argue that in losing or coming up short or even winning, it's not the only thing. As we're doing this program, the U.S. Open is being played. That is tennis, not golf. The U.S. Open is being played over in Queens, in Flushing. And let's make a judgment call. i got yeah. two and a half minutes left. Well, why don't we tell the story? I mean... So this is the young girl, Coco Goff. So, uh, yep. Coco and, Goff. She's uh, yep, 15 Naomi or... Osaka. I don't know, 15 years old? She's 15. Incredibly talented. The next Venus, Serena, whatever. She's playing against... She's playing against Naomi Osaka. Okay. Naomi Osaka destroys her in the match. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it was the first match that Coco had lost in like a series of matches. So okay. yeah, she destroys her. So After happens? the match, Coco is crying. She's 15. Of course she's crying. Yeah. She didn't just lose, she lost very badly. What did Osaka do? Osaka was about to be interviewed by someone from ESPN and Osaka actually went over to Coco and number one said, you know, stop crying. You know, this is totally okay. But she invited her to be in the post-game interview on the tennis court, which was just, I've never seen that happen at any age Well, Coco pushed back and said, no, I'm going to cry. Yep, absolutely. And she said, well, if you're going to cry, don't cry in the shower where no one can see you. Come out here Mm -hmm. and you have a lot to be proud of. And she pushed her and pushed her and pushed her. And then they got out there in front of that crowd mm-hmm. in Osaka. Talk about leadership. Oh, yeah. She acknowledged this young girl, Coco. She acknowledged her parents for raising such mm-hmm. a great young girl. And she even broke down crying as she— Osaka did. Yep, Osaka. So pretty much what happened was, so then Coco obviously had just— Number one, she was also so humble and said, I don't want to take this moment away from you. And then— in Because the, you won, I lost. Exactly. But she thanked her for it. And she did a respectful, you know, just very much thank you. You know, it was such a pleasure being here. But then literally the second that Osaka had gotten on the microphone, instead of then accepting the fact that she won and saying, look at me, she turned and congratulated the parents for raising— Coco's parents. Coco's parents. I mean, there was not— Who does that? I don't know. I cried. I, I just thought it was I amazing. I did, too. I thought— I know. You did, too? It was really great. We were in two different homes, and, they and we are cried. they both two young girls who have seen— each other train for years. One was 21 and was the former young one who beat. Mm-hmm. Well, I say 21 is still pretty she, young. <laughs> she beat Serena. Mm-hmm. And she was crying then when she beat Serena. I know. 
And I know. then the tables were turned. Talk about leadership. And she could have just stood there, done a quick interview, and then moved on. And then in the post-game press conference, if you will, then, you know, called her. But in that moment, that wasn't planned. It wasn't scripted. It was such an example of pure leadership that so many people, whether you're in sports or business, can learn from. Therefore, I am right. Vince Lombardi is wrong. You're winning is right, not Steve. No, no. Winning is not the only thing. Mm-hmm. It's how you win and how you lose and how you conduct yourself and what you learn from it. And so, once again, the Leadership Hour shows that I'm correct and I'm glad I've brought you on to my side of the equation, Mary. Yes, thank you, Darth Vader. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Lessons in Leadership with Steve Autobato, Mary Gamba, and Brian Brodeur. Check us out every week on AM 970 at 2 p.m. on Sunday. 2 p.m. on Sundays, absolutely. Or our podcast. How do you yeah. get it real quick uh, Absolutely. You, you could subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcast and Google Play. And also you can check us out on our website, stand-deliver.com. I love Twitter people. They're not called Twitter people. At Steve Adubato, S-T-E-V-E-A-D-U-B-A-T-O. This is Steve. That's Mary. That's Brian. East Main Media. Thank you for checking us out. Catch you next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Elise Glennon with New Jersey Sharing Network. The Transplant Games of America are coming to New Jersey in the summer of 2020, and we encourage you to learn more about organ and tissue donation. That's why we're proud to support programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by Holy Name Medical Center. This place is different. The New Jersey Education Association. New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation. New Jersey Resources, MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey. Adler Aphasia Center, helping stroke and brain injury survivors recover their speech. And by Wells Fargo. Promotional support provided by New Jersey Monthly, the magazine of the Garden State, available at newsstands. And AM 970, The Answer. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in Brick City, Newark, New Jersey. It's our pleasure to welcome Dr. Jim Dryley, Executive Director of the School of Criminal Justice and Public Administration at Kane University. Good to see you, Jim. My pleasure to be here. Um, I was just telling you before we got in the air, I read an article that you were quoted in. I believe it was in the ledger. Check it out on NJ.com as well and other places where the question about gun violence this is after some horrific incidents, whether in Dayton or in El Paso, and unfortunately they happen all too often. And you were quoted extensively talking about some of the things we need to do to end gun violence. Let me get into this. Right out of the box, the connection between gun violence and white supremacy is? I don't see a connection, a causal connection, in the sense that we want to put our finger on one particular reason. Um, with the gun violence that we see in the United States, uh, it's, it's multivariate. Um, There are individuals that believe in a certain ideology that will use violence to advance their ideologies. But there's other individuals, because of mental health or emotional issues, they use gun violence for 
whatever purpose that they choose, and then other individuals in a reactive way uh, based on circumstances within their lives. So I don't see it as one specific... But, but folks involved in the white supremacy movement are, in fact, based on the folks we've talked to in Homeland Security and other places, in terms of domestic threat, domestic terrorism, they're at the top of that list. They are now, because in, in, in the way that it's, it's occurring and the individuals are advancing that ideology. But we can't ignore that there are other Outside uh, circumstances. Yes. You've said, uh, let's go through some options, because I hate when people say, what's the fix? There's no one fix to gun violence, correct? Correct. Let's do this. Banning assault weapons, no-brainer? It, it's a no-brainer in the sense that you ban them. So where do you ban them? At manufacturer? Do you ban them at possession? Is it a collective ban? Uh, how do you go? There's, there's commentary now where they're going to look for buybacks on assault weapons. Uh, we're talking a, a major, major undertaking uh, on a national scale here. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, and is it going to happen completely? Absolutely. Not 100 percent. Dr. Lamansky, so there are New Jersey laws and there are national laws. New Jersey's gun laws, among many say, the toughest in the nation. You say? I agree. Based on what? What are some of the keys to them? Well, in, in New Jersey, uh, it's been longstanding practice that if you're going to apply for a uh, permit to purchase a, a rifle or ammunition, you go through a, a, uh, an application process. At the local level... Is that level, a background check? Uh, it is. It, at the local level, it's conducted by the uh, police. Um, if you don't have a local police, it's conducted by the uh, New Jersey State Police if you're in a rural district. Um, it includes uh, personal demographic information. Uh, you submit fingerprints. You'll go through the process there. Um, they generate a single number that stays with you for life, uh, an SBI number, State Bureau of Identification. And no matter what you do in the firearms application purchasing process in the state of New Jersey, it's, it's very closely uh, watched and regulated. Okay, so in the, in the national government, federal government, president right after some of these horrific incidents said, you know what? Background checks. Two days later, eh, not so sure. Then after that, background checks. Should the federal government, not just each state, look at background checks, but should the federal government simply, by law, require a background check to get a gun? That's a constitutional question that to be best answered by... But isn't advice. a practical question beyond the law. I'm asking if, in fact, our goal is to reduce gun violence, wouldn't a federal law that mandates a background check before you could purchase a firearm Makes sense as opposed to some states have it, some states don't. It, it, it's a constitutional question. It's also a practical right. question as to implementation of a law. From the practicality standpoint, I agree with you 100%. Uh, if it can be done nationally, I, I support that. Could I have it no be problem done? with this. I, I don't know. I, I mean, you're talking now about. Uh, you think that's politics? I you think Because you separate yourself. I'm sorry for interrupting. You told me right before we got on the air, I've been in law enforcement. You're a police, uh, you're a law enforcement in West Orange. A top leader there in West Orange Police Department, 25 years? Yes, 25. And you moved into academia. So is there for policy and politics outside of your purview? Well, the, you can't ignore the politics. Go ahead. And so the policy is going to be set by those that are in office, elected office. Uh, they appoint individuals, uh, directors, commissioner, forms of government, whatever you may have. Um, and they follow and adhere uh, to the policy that is set. But in, in a lot of this right now, uh, we, we, can't, we can't seem to get through the political noise. rhetoric, the dialogue, the noise. That's an excellent well, way to describe But would a background it. check, a federal background check, because I'm going to ask you about red laws in just a second. Would a federal background check be helpful? Yes. 
red laws. What are they? Why don't we have them? Well, so red law is uh, basically red flag. That's what we're uh, referring to. So if, if there's something in a person's uh, life, in their background, in their past, uh, that would raise a red flag and uh, a cause for concern. And we've seen this when we look back at, at some of the shootings, uh, the mass shootings that have occurred in, in the past 20, 25 years. Um, there were red flags. Uh, individuals were exhibiting um, and manifesting certain forms of behavior. Uh, they were acting out, uh, oftentimes in, in a violent way. Um, but the dots were not being connected. And in those cases, if the dots had been connected, if individuals had talked uh, with each other, amongst each other, um, including uh, involving law enforcement to some extent, um, then we may have been able to mitigate, we may have been able to prevent. Take um, those guns? I mean, because what, ultimately, what's the action on the part of the government? Isn't it to take the guns from those people? Well, I think initially it would be to prevent access. So if it's going to be taking and okay. it's temporarily holding, um, you know, so the, the weapon may not belong to the individual, but it may be within the household. But the red, you're saying that this red flag law, if you will, tries to identify folks who should not have guns. Or access to guns, both. I'm curious about this. Um, got background in mental health. This whole question about is it a mental health issue is it that there are too many guns? Is it the NRA? It's no one thing. Correct. We look for, everybody wants a single cure, a panacea. What's the answer? Um, it, communication. It, that, no, but I'm saying when, rhetorically, when someone says, what's the answer, is there really an answer, one? No. We need to communicate, and we don't. Uh, whether it be between um, education, a local uh, elementary school, uh, individuals even in higher education. We've seen instances where, where these uh, have occurred in colleges and universities. Workplace violence. Um, there are things that go on in people's lives that people do make the connection, but that information isn't brought out to someone that could maybe intervene. And not in a uh, taking away somebody's you know, full liberties, taking somebody into custody, but to be aware, uh, to look into things a little bit deeper, a little bit further. And that's not happening. Um, when, when you look at a person who, who has a problem with alcohol, and everybody knows that this person has a problem with alcohol, but nobody talks, and it's not until something happens, that person's involved in an accident, or they do something, oh, well, you know, we knew that that person had a problem with alcohol. That may seem like a very simple analogy, but it's not. The same thing occurs with this type of violence. People are aware, but there's not a communication, there's not a connection. Dr. Jim Dryley from Kane University, I want to thank you for joining us. You understand these issues, not just from an academic perspective, but frankly, you were out there as a law enforcement professional for many years, and we thank you for your service. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Stay right. right there. Okay. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato, and we'll be right back. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs is pleased to welcome uh, Carol Johnson, the Commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Human Services. Good to see you, Commissioner. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Make it clear what you're responsible for. It's a huge department. Yes, I'm really honored to be the commissioner of the Department of Human Services under Governor Murphy. We run the state's Medicaid program that 
provides health care coverage to 1.7 million New Jerseyans. We provide food assistance to 700,000 New Jerseyans through our SNAP program. We're the child care agency. We're the aging agency. We're the agency for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. We're the mental health and substance use disorder agency. Um, so we have a wide range of services. It's a huge services. portfolio. Um, Commissioner, do this because you mentioned child care. The the, you were with us early on in the Murphy administration, and we talked about an initiative you're about to see on camera right now, our initiative called Right from the Start NJ focusing on improving the child care situation and other related issues for infants and toddlers. We talked about it at the beginning. You are with us now. Since then, just recently, there's a $54 million in additional funding that's going toward what as it relates to child care, and how does that relate to this initiative? Well, thank you. Thank you for the work that you've done on Right for the Start. And with for a lot of Partners and, and all the partners across the state. Those, those, that work and our partners across the state and advocates across the state have, have been part of our shared goal of saying that what we need to do is to invest in quality, affordable child care. And it's very rare that you have a policy issue that's really a twofer. And in this instance, investing in good child, quality childcare is a twofer because the science tells us all about brain development. We need to have quality childcare and services for children. But the economics tell us good quality childcare are what going to are what, what going to help families feel safe and comfortable and be in the workforce. And so, too many women are not in the workforce because they mm. don't have confidence in quality. And so, this fifty-four childcare. million dollars goes to fifty-four million dollars goes to families to help them afford quality, affordable mm. childcare. So, what we've done is raise the rates basically that we pay for childcare. We provide a subsidy to families who are lower and moderate income to help them afford childcare. As you know, childcare is a very expensive uh, uh, endeavor. Um, and, and we want families to be able to shop for and get the best, highest quality childcare. So we not only have invested in raising the rates, but we also are investing in quality, a quality rating system where we'll pay more if you choose a higher quality mm -hmm. childcare center. Um, and what we've done is because so many advocates across the state have helped us appreciate the challenge Including we have. advocates for children in New Jersey and our friends Cecilia Zalkine. That's right. That's right. Um, that we have, we have a challenge challenge in particularly in getting infant care um, and so we leaned heavily and and put that money more heavily into infant care rates. So between January of 2018, when we came in in the Murphy administration, and January of this upcoming year, we will have increased the child care subsidy rate for infants by about 40% mm. in this state um, to try to make it more affordable and accessible for families to get that high quality care. By the way, if you want to find out more information on right from the start, check out our website. Switch gears. Can we talk about the um, opioid crisis in the state? Again, people say, oh, that's, I guess that's the Department of Health. There's no one state agency that's dealing with the opioid crisis. The Department of Human Services directly involved doing what, and what does that have to do with Narcan? So, so two things. We are the state's Medicaid agency, which means we provide health care coverage for 1.7 million folks in our state. About 500,000 of those individuals gain coverage because of the Affordable Care Act's Medicaid expansion. Those, it won't surprise you to know, are the people who have been left behind in health care coverage for a really long time. Single adults with incomes under 138% of poverty, so many of those individuals had substance use disorder challenges. So what we're doing is getting coverage to people. And then what we said in our agency um, when we came in in the Murphy administration was, 
what are the barriers to people getting opioid use disorder treatment? And one of the big barriers that we had was our own Medicaid program was, cause, was forcing people to jump through hoops and get prior authorization before they could get medication-assisted treatment. So we got rid of that prior authorization. We're paying providers better to offer that treatment. We are creating support networks so that healthcare providers have resources and know who they can turn to when they have complex cases. So we're really trying to build up an environment that supports medication-assisted treatment, which is what the evidence says works in treating opioid use disorder. But you also mentioned naloxone. Yeah, there's a free naloxone day. When is that? And by the way, we're, we're taping. That happens to be in June. It happened in but, June of this year. Okay, we're, ta we're taping in the fall of 2019. Go ahead. So in June of this year, Will we, there be another one? We're, our, we're, our goal is to have as many as possible, okay. with depending what, what on our resources. What happens on that day? Sorry for interrupting. So here, here's by the way, so you're listening, if you're listening on the audio side, Dr. Excuse me, Carol Johnson is, in fact, the commissioner of the Department of Human Services in the state. Go ahead. So we said everyone in the clinical world knows that naloxone should be in the hands of as many residents in our state as possible. The Surgeon General has said that. Every clinician knows that that when an, an overdose is going to happen, when an overdose happens in your community, this is, it used to be a more complicated device. Now it is a simple nasal spray that can be used to reverse an opioid overdose. So everyone should have one. I carry one in my purse. Everyone should, should be able to access this. So we said, why don't we have a free day where it's available at all pharmacies that can participate and that individuals don't need to give their name, they don't need to have an individual prescription, and they can come get it for free. We partnered with 174 mm. pharmacies across the state and 16,000 New Jerseyans showed up and picked up Narcan on that stay, day. Stay right there. Jackie, hire our producer. Do this. Can you tell everyone, are we putting up the website for, for the Department of Human Services? Can you say what it is and we'll put it up? Go ahead. Um, NJ.gov backslash human services. NJ.gov backslash human services. Can folks find out more about this day? Absolutely. And then in addition to that, we have just recently also made naloxone free and available to all the staff at homeless shelters across our state. So we're continuing to think about how do we push naloxone out to as many sites as possible so we can save someone and then get them connected Commissioner, to Commissioner, real quick, uh, I, by the way, next time you come back, we'll talk about Work First New Jersey. Okay. Um, but I want to do this. On the prevention side of the opioid crisis, what's happening? So we are investing in community-based organizations to do outreach and education to help people understand what alternative to opioids can look like. You know, there are therapies, there are physical therapy, there are other strategies um, before um, you initiate use of an opioid. Now, I understand that some people have been on opioids for a very long time, and so legacy users, that's a different issue than initiating a new opioid prescription at this time when we know how addictive these um, drugs can be. And so we should think mm -hmm. about, and we should ask our physicians and our nurse practitioners about other alternatives. Carol Johnson has been with us here on State of Affairs. She's the commissioner of one of the largest, largest. maybe the, the largest. largest, it is the largest department in uh, state government, part of the governor, Governor Murphy's cabinet. She's the commissioner of New Jersey Department of Human Services. They have a huge portfolio. I want to thank you for joining us, and we appreciate thank your you time. Thank you for having me. This is a State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're at NJTV, and we'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. 
State of Affairs is pleased to welcome Chris Sturm, who is uh, Managing Director and Policy of Policy and Water at New Jersey Future. Good to see you, Chris. Hi, Steve. Nice to be here. Tell folks what New Jersey Future is. Uh, New Jersey Future cares about the state of New Jersey and wants it to be the best place for everyone to live. And so we work on statewide issues, making sure that we're developing in the right places in the right ways. We're investing in our infrastructure in smart ways and preserving a healthy environment. You know, uh, infrastructure, never a sexy word, you know, but an important part of the economy, important part of our quality of life. So today, while we're taping State of Affairs, we had the mayor of Newark, uh, Ros Baraka, Ros Baraka, talking about the water situation in Newark. It's a serious problem. But it isn't just Newark. It's communities all over the state, all over this nation. So let's deal with New Jersey. There are 300,000 water service lines in New Jersey. What does that mean and why does that matter? Right. So um, there are 300 pipes connecting homes to the water main under the street. 300,000. 300,000. Thank okay. you. 300,000 pipes that connect homes to the water main under the street, and they're lined with lead. And lead leaches in from those pipes into the tap water as, it as the water enters the home. What we've learned from Newark is that we can't rely on corrosion control or filters. There are short, good short-term solutions, but in the long term, we need to remove the source of the lead. We need to remove those pipes, and that is a statewide challenge. How expensive are we talking? Our best estimate is about $2 billion. Mm -hmm. $2 billion. Right, right. But it, we mm. think it's an investment that pays for itself in lower costs for education, for public health, even for things like incarceration. Well, hold on. What, is, what does that have to do with public education, public health, incarceration? Right. Well, lead is a really powerful neurotoxin that impairs the healthy brain development of young children. And so if children have lead poisoning, and they can get it from paint and soil as well as water, it impairs their ability to learn, lowers their IQs, and causes behavior problems. And those kinds of things cause problems down the line. So let's stay on this. I'm curious about the whole question of um, what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Now, it's one thing to say we need to change the pipes. But I am curious about something, and I, I don't know I'm not the only one who's thinking this. These are lead pipes. Right. What made folks think, the so-called experts, the engineers, the people who were making this happen, the policymakers, what made them think that these lead pipes wouldn't, quote, leach? I mean, I don't get that. It's really a curious thing because even Benjamin Franklin understood that lead was not <laughs> good for people. People sur you know, surmised that the Roman Empire might have um, declined in part because of lead poisoning. But lead companies around the turn of the century and the early part of this, uh, the 2000s, or I'm sorry, the 1900s, used lead because it was less expensive and it was more malleable, easier to fit around corners. And I think there was a strong lobby among lead manufacturers. A lead lobby? Back in the day to use lead in plumbing. Without thinking of the long-term ramifications. That's right. That's right. Now, you know, we have stronger federal regulations. But as we've learned from Flint and now Newark, they're not strong enough. It's interesting. You, you, and I asked Mayor Baraka this, and please check out, if you haven't seen the show, check out our website at Steve Adubato and look up the Roz Baraka interview. When I mentioned Flint in the same sentence as Newark, the mayor made it very clear, no, no. They have a very different situation. The cause of their water problem in Flint was very different. And uh, we're way ahead of this now. They're moving forward. There's $120 million bond issue that's gone out, borrowing the money to do this. And the mayor says he believes it'll be done in the next two and a half to three years. By the way, do you think that's realistic? 
I think it's a great aggressive goal. And you know what? If they're a year late, so what? I, I think Newark is doing the right thing with that kind of timeline. Okay, but go back to what the mayor said. Flint and Newark not in the same sentence. You say? I say Newark is in much better shape than Flint, but there are parallels. Go ahead. Um, I think in both places, the people who are living in those cities were surprised to find out how bad the problem was. And in both places, the solutions can't come fast enough. I mean, the latest thing that happened in Newark with the filters being found to possibly not work was really unfortunate. Um, the city... Unfortunate's a funny word because I don't know what it means. Yeah. It was worse than unfortunate. How did that not know that these filters, some of them, potentially not work? How do you not know that? You know, they were, Newark was using the filters recommended by the EPA that had been used in Flint successfully. So it was a big surprise. Um, we are now waiting for much more thorough test results to come out, which could be any day now, and okay. we'll have a better sense of what happens. You know, it's interesting. The issue of transparency comes up a lot. Yeah. Do you believe your organization, New Jersey Future, does your organization believe that the city administration in Newark was, quote, transparent enough about the water situation in the city of Newark and its impact on residents? I would say that local officials across New Jersey, elected officials, can all learn a lesson from Newark, which is that the quicker you can share bad news, the better off when it comes to building trust, even if you don't have all the answers for the solution. It's a very difficult thing to do because this is a public health issue and the public can become very mm -hmm. upset and that's hard to manage. But I think what we've seen is that transparency builds trust. You're part of a task force. It is the Lead in Drinking Water Task Force. What is it, what is it and why does it matter? Sure. Um, a collaborative organization called Jersey Waterworks convened 30 people, experts from different perspectives, utilities, including the city of Newark, regulators at the state and federal level, and community and environmental advocates to come together and devise a statewide solution because we know that um, lead service lines are found across New Jersey in hundreds of communities. And so on October 10th, the task force will be releasing a comprehensive package of solutions that we think builds on what Newark is, is doing and learning. Chris, let me ask you, would you be surprised to find out that other communities throughout the state, say in the next six months to a year and beyond, that they announced bad news as you describe it? By the way, we're talking with Chris Sturm from New Jersey Future. I'm Steve Adubato coming to you from the studios of NJTV for State of Affairs. Would you be surprised to find out that other communities in the next six months, year, beyond 18 months, hey, we have a problem, because you just said, release the bad news. Would you be shocked? No, mm -mm, not at all. Ticking time bomb? My words, question, is this a ticking time bomb? Yeah, I think it is. You know, we saw um, Suez Hackensack, which provides drinking water to 57 municipalities in Bergen County, affluent suburban county, and Hudson County. Um, violating federal standards within the past year. That was a big surprise. People don't know exactly which towns that was happening in. And so there's a lot we can all do to provide better information. But that same scenario can happen and will happen in other places. It can happen anywhere. Right. The good news is once you know you have a problem, you get much more serious about fixing it. It's been really easy for folks to bury their heads in the sand because it's, it's a hard Can't thing. Can't do that anymore. No. Exactly. Uh, Chris Sturm is Managing Director of uh, Policy and Water at New Jersey Future. I want to thank you for joining us on State of Affairs. This has been uh, another edition of State of Affairs. So let's continue the conversation. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Make sure we'll see you next week. Thank you, Chris.
State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by Holy Name Medical Center, the New Jersey Education Association, New Jersey Sharing Network, New Jersey Resources, MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey, Adler Aphasia Center, and by Wells Fargo. Promotional support provided by New Jersey Monthly and AM970, The Answer. Holy Day Medical Center is leading the statewide effort to improve end-of-life care through the use of advanced directives, recognizing a person's wishes on how they want to spend their last chapter of life isn't about death, it's about living. Our goal is to help all patients maximize their quality of life in their final months, weeks, days, and hours.